It's great to be here this morning. It's a privilege always to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is especially an honor and a privilege to do that on the Lord's Day where we're called to remember the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. There was a powerful piece of evidence that was given almost 2,000 years ago as to God's commitment to us and how much he loved us. And that was he sent his son to die for us and we're here this morning to show forth to the world that Jesus died. And although that's a great paradox, it is a paradox in this way. It was bad for him, it was great for us. And that is something we need never ever forget. Darkness is one of those things that we spend a lot of time dealing with, believe it or not. Uh, it doesn't matter where you go, darkness is one of those things where uh, sometimes you find fear. I know that in Three Little Girls where I live, uh, there are nightlights. And we don't just have nightlights, we have multiplicity of nightlights just in case one of the nightlights goes down because darkness is not a good thing for going to bed at night. We've got little pink flamingos that light up. We've got uh, princesses that light up. We've got Anna and Elsa on the ceiling that will light up. We've got lots of ways that we can bring just a little bit of light into a room so that some girls can go to sleep. Darkness is something I've always been afraid of. You know that moment whenever you're riding your bicycle at night and you're a little boy and you think, I'm going I'm, I'm to stay as long as I can wherever I am. And you come up a road and you see a stump and all of a sudden that thing is turning into a bear. It's not really, but the darkness just has a way of making everything uh, just look like it's coming after you. Well, darkness is one of those things that Satan doesn't tell you about. Satan does not tell you about how things, how things really end. He doesn't tell you the end game of it all. He just simply tells you to experience the physical good stuff and fun. I say good stuff. The physical enjoyment, the instant fleshly gratification of whatever sin you're going through. But what he doesn't tell you is it ends in a place literally of outer darkness. When Jesus came, he described it like this. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Have you ever been asleep, really, really asleep, and you found uh, a little girl that found your 1,000 lumen or however much it is, one of them light cannons, and they come right up to your face and go and, and shine that light, and you just have this physical reaction of just... Uh, it is a physical reaction when you were asleep, you're in darkness, but all of a sudden you've got this light cannon that's now in your face, and you have this reaction to it. Sometimes that's how people react to the Lord. He is such bright light. He doesn't allow you to stay asleep. He's going to make you run away. His light is going to shine on you. It's going to shine, but the reality many times is that people run away from it. You look at this guy and this image and all the darkness of the room around him. We don't know how, how dark that is, but I can promise you, if you use your imagination, you can see some faces that are lurking in the shadows, many of which maybe are looking to see what this guy's going to do. And I do not understand for the life of me the human condition that many times misery loves company. And you find people that are dwelling in darkness and they find reasons to justify that darkness over and over and over again. Well, God rescues us from darkness. And we're going to go through the book of Colossians chapter 1 this morning in about 30 minutes. Look at the land uh, of, around that Paul was writing as he wrote uh, to these people. Sometimes we don't know or look at the geography, but it was, it's pretty neat to think about that. You look at Hierapolis and Colossae and Laodicea, over here is Ephesus. That's kind of a, a major region that were the Tri-Cities and Ephesus that Paul spent time working, establishing congregations in Acts 18 and also 
Acts 19. It was all about water. If you look at these cities, most of them are on waterways. They had to do that to get things back and forth together. But again, when you look at the Colossian letter, here's what the Bible says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of your love for all the saints, because the hope which was laid up for, uh, for you in heaven, of which you heard before in a word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is now in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. A lot of things in here. First of all, when you get to the Bible and you need to understand how it works, it goes like this. The Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, that was getting us to, to the point of how the Messiah, the Son of God, was going to come into the world. He had to jump through all those hoops. Every one of those, every one of those pages is an amazing page because it points toward and looking forward to Jesus coming into the world. But then, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's about telling us He did come into the world. He is the Messiah. And you read the book of Acts and how the church was established. And that's when the gospel began, was beginning to be preached to all the world. And that's what's happening right here. But then, as churches began to be established in cities like Colossae or Bakersfield, California, there were problems that would creep up. And so he writes to the saints, he writes to the church, those that are in Colossae, he says, to those who are in Colossae, those that he calls uh, literally faithful brethren. And then he says, I've heard your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. In other words, there ought to be things that you hear about a congregation. There ought to be ways that you could go into a place or not even go into a place and you could say, okay, tell me about the church at Plans Road in Bakersfield. Tell me about the church in, in Strong, Arkansas or at Park in Farmville, Louisiana. Tell me about that church. You could have never been there before. And what you read about today is a real live church. They didn't have superheroes. They had normal people just like you, but there was something about them that was unique. And that was that they were pretty on the ball. There were some problems. There was some teaching that they had to get. But they were pretty much on the ball. And one of the things that ought to characterize all churches of Jesus Christ is your love for all the saints. That's demonstrated and then he says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in a word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you. This is very, very important stuff. The Bible describes this as fruit. Whenever you preach the gospel, it produces fruit. You know what God wants? He wants fruit. He wants fruit from us he, as being a child of God. In other words, when you preach the gospel to people, there's going to be fruit in the form of people that are safe. And he also wants fruit out of us as individuals and collectively as the congregation. And he places a great deal of emphasis upon truth. You heard and knew the grace of God in truth. And then he also tells us there's some people that work among you. You know, we prayed for Frankie this morning. You should always do that. You should pray for the, you should pray for the people that are working. Uh, I, I, that's so serious and such a big deal. This guy was a heavy hitter. His name was Epaphras. And it also tells us that whenever you're trying to be all you can be and a congregation is being all you can be, 
You can do that and you need to do that, but there's always going to be a way that I submit to to Chris and and Chris submits to Terry and and Terry submits to Frank. There's going to be teaching that we all need and we're members one of another. When we sing songs, the Bible says that we teach and admonish and we encourage one another. That's no small ball thing. Don't take that for granted. Don't take your voice for granted. Don't take what you say for granted. Absolutely very important. To always be a people that have the word of God and a song on our lips because it has power and God designed it to be something that would constantly fuel us in the body of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with all knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Who do you pray for? I just talked about praying for Frankie. Hey, Frankie would tell you this, pray for one another. Pray for each other. When you notice or you perceive that somebody's having a bad moment, somebody's going through stuff, somebody is really, life is kicking their teeth in right then, you pray for them. I promise you, of all the things I know about God, there are some times just like a perfect father would be. There are times when his children are crying out to him. He moves heaven and earth to make it change. I don't know how he does all that. To him be the glory for whatever he does. But I know this, you and your mouth on your knees with a heart that is a pleading and begging the Father for your brothers and sisters in Christ wherever they are all over the world. You're making the greatest difference you could ever make. And it has to do directly with what's coming out of your mouth and who you're talking to. We're dealing with a God that is infinitely powerful. And he wanted us to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There should never be a time where I say, yeah, I know what I need to know. I'm just going to show up and it's all going to be good. Don't do that. Please don't do that. We're leaking vessels. You know what I've learned about people? I've I've known men and women that were super, super strong, but then they got to a point in their life Just kind of, again, I use this illustration a lot because it's true. Life's coming at you fast. Life's going to do its very best through through the God of this world that is Satan to kick your teeth in. And he's going to do everything he can to make you stop filling yourself up. And what God is basically saying is this. Every time you get a chance, fill yourself up. You're feeling down. You're You're feeling like literally you're half empty. You're drained. Fill yourself up. Those are the moments where you need to lean in more than ever before. And God's plan is that he has a plan. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Listen, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Has anybody told you that darkness has power? Sure it does. Darkness has power. He said He, t- he took us out. He has greater power. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. Are you here this morning and you don't feel that? You, you don't have to just feel something about that. You can know it. You can know that you've been delivered from the power of darkness. And none of us, no preacher of the gospel would ever want anybody to come to an assembly of God's people and leave not knowing what it is to leave the power of darkness. You can this morning. But it's not me that's going to do it. 
It's no man in this group that's going to do that, or no woman. But God can do it. It's just whether or not you want that. That's the most difficult thing that ever, ever existed. The Bible says, whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. You got sin in your life? You see this right here? You see this table? This table was set almost 2,000 years ago by the Son of God. And this table is very, very meaningful. If you're here and you've never seen it uncovered before, you're going to see it uncovered in just a few minutes after I finish preaching. It's a table that's representative of exactly what the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said. We have redemption through His blood. We're fixing to have communion of the blood of Jesus Christ. We constantly remember it and we announce it. We tell the world, basically, He did this for us. Every time we partake of that, that loaf that, that is His body that was just shredded for us, not physically broken, not a bone was broken, but broken in the sense of what all they did to His body. Every time we drink of that cup, we're telling the world and we're telling ourselves that blood is the only thing that saved us. He's your only hope. He's all that you have. And he's reminding the Colossian church about this. I want to tell you about the desperate situation that we're in here. Because it's just words sometimes until sometimes you take a page out of history. This page out of history, Auschwitz and Dachau and several of these prison camps, these are men and women lines in Nazi Germany. The prison lines that Hitler would have, whenever he wrote Mein Kampf, one of the things you need to know about Hitler is that he was a man who believed in Darwinism. He did not believe in God. He did everything he could to run from God. He would preach a superior and a master race of Germans, basically. And if you know anything about the Olympics, uh, about 1939, when Jesse Owens, an American, blew out all the Germans... Uh, every one of the snowflakes lost compared to this guy. It was amazing. It was awesome. It was also awesome that uh, whenever you talk about Hitler, he would talk about how it was great to be a German. He wasn't even German. Wasn't born in Germany. But that's what he would preach, and he would preach this, this doctrine of hate. And so what he did is he convinced everybody that the real mess-up problems of World War I and the treaties that Germany had to sign, they were really the fault of a lot of different people. And he would pin it on several different groups of people, but one of them was he pinned it on the Jews. And he would go along and he would dehumanize the Jews. In Mein Kampf, he told the world exactly what he was going to do. He would have all of his SS guard read Charles Darwin's The Descent of Man. Now that was in 1871. In 1859, he got the real problem with what he put out about uh, basically uh, the strong survive and, and, and preach the doctrine of Darwinism that we might know now as a theory of evolution. But in 1871, he preached this doctrine and put it in writing and it had all of his guys that were close to him as SS Guard read it and it basically goes like this. We should make sure that we breed human beings, the strong with the strong, and get rid of all the weak. If there's any weakness, if there's any sickness in your family, I want you to stop and think about that. His whole philosophy was, let's let them die. In fact, let's encourage it. Let's get rid of them. He viewed this uh, group of people, the Jews, as needed to be exterminated. It wasn't just them. 
wasn't just Jews. There were gypsies and others that he wanted to destroy, but the Jews were a major selection, and he would draw rat noses for Jews, and he would call them all kinds of names. The point of it is, you have to dehumanize somebody in order to kill them. You can't go up to them and say, hey, you, you human being, I'm going to kill you, and I feel nothing about it, but you can kill a rat. Feel, feel all right about it. In fact, if you, you can feel pretty good about killing a rat. You've never known desperate in your life to the kind of desperate these people were feeling. They were told they were going to certain places. They were going to go certain here, there, and yon. And they would literally put them in cattle cars on railroads and they would take them toward these death camps. And they would separate them out. And I want you to think about how much you have to take out of men for those men not to come across that line and get their wives, but there was also another line for children. That's what I'm not telling you about as well. They would separate all these people out, and they would put them in these death camps. Today you can go to museums and you can find piles of shoes. Piles and piles and piles of shoes. Now these are not shoes that people just got worn out and didn't want to wear anymore. These are shoes of these, these people right here. Let me tell you what these are. Those are wedding rings. Those are people that took rings off their hands. And in the museum today, you can see wedding rings. There are other boxes of teeth. There's everything you can imagine. Every atrocity known to man. If you were fixing to have a baby, you were a science experiment for the Nazis. They didn't care about you. Remember, they think about you not even as a human being. They think of you as nothing but less than an animal, not even a good animal. And they'd pile these Jews in these death chambers, these gas chambers, and you see the walls and you see the columns across the top and they were barely lit. And they literally would completely take their clothes off of them and they thought they were getting a shower. And then they would turn the gas on. We've never been in a desperate situation like that. You see this right here? You see those marks on the walls? Those are marks from human hands that clawed way past their fingernails into the very bone itself trying to figure out a way to get out of those moments. And they're still there staining the walls in those literally now museums of one of the worst periods of human history, of one of the worst examples of people that decided that another group of people were not valuable anymore, and not only not valuable anymore, that they needed to be exterminated. And anywhere from 6 to 12 million Jews died. But I'm going to tell you what this represents. This represents people that wanted to get out of there, and they tried every which way they could, they could to get out of there, and they couldn't get out of there. There was a guy one time that was giving advice, pretty popular guy, to families and marriages. And a guy stood up in, 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 the, uh, in the group and he was talking about his, uh, his family and he wanted some advice. And the way this guy works is you just stand up and you're going to own it. You're going to own your problem and you're going to tell me what your problem is and then I'm going to give you advice. And this guy's there and he, and, he, and he tells this guy, he can tell this guy's really not into it. You know, sometimes you talk to people, they just kind of halfway want to fix it. They don't really want to fix it. They just kind of halfway want to fix it. 
Well, this guy stands up and he says, got a problem with my wife, not looking too good. He's kind of cavalier about how he's explaining this to this guy. And this guy says, hey, you know, let, let me just say this. Is there anything you're not willing to do? And the guy's sitting there and you can tell he's calculating like, okay, this is where I have to make a full commitment. And you can tell he doesn't really want to. He's like, you know what? This isn't going to work. Well, then the guy gets a little defensive. When somebody tells you, oh, you, this isn't going to work, sometimes then you say, oh, no, no, it's going to work. It's going to work. Oh, okay, it's going to work. He said, no, no, you're missing my point. Until you want your marriage to work as bad as you want to breathe. He said, let me give an example of this. I'll tell you guys a story from Pat Riley from the Lakers days. They said Pat Riley used to go in and try to motivate, and Pat Riley's a, a tremendous motivator. Always has been. He goes into the locker room, and he has a bucket. One of those guys has a bucket of water that they've got their ankle in. You know, they didn't have all the fancy stuff they have now and weren't hooked up to everything. You just stick a bad ankle in a bucket of ice. He goes in before the game and sticks his head in the bucket of ice for a long time. I'm not talking about a little time. They said we start getting worried about him. We start thinking, what in the world? And finally, he came up for air. And his point to his players was, and this is the same point this motivational man uh, was making to this, this bad husband. He said, until you want it to work, until you want it as bad as you want to breathe, it won't work. There's a lot of truth in that. Do you want to be saved as bad as you want to breathe? You're like, well, I don't know. Well, I'm going to tell you about how bad you want to breathe. Fight or flight will take over. You let somebody shove your head underwater, it's going to take about two seconds before you realize you can fight off a bear. I was the littlest brother. I was the little baby brother. I know what it is for brothers. Savannah's here, my niece. My older brother knew what it was to hold my head underwater. I knew what it was to fight off a brother eight years older than me to come up for air. Now, he wasn't about to kill me, but it was one of those fun things, right? Wasn't fun for me sometimes. I had it coming. I was the aggravating little brother. But until you want it as bad as you want to breathe, until you want it as bad as you want to breathe, you don't want it. It's going to take that. We've got to be a people that know what it is to recognize the situation we're in. And we've got to want to get out of this moments. And we've got to do everything we can to want out so bad, there's nothing we won't do. There's no wall we won't try to climb out of. Do you know the power of our God? Here's what the Bible says. These people knew that whenever one of their, they would start trying to hold their breath as this gas, and they would see people drop and they would hold it as long as they could as they literally clawed the walls. But they were all dying. Here's what Paul said. But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's the difference. We had this coming. We had this coming. We deserve to die. Jesus did not deserve to die, but he died anyway. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 15 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn over all creation. For by him are all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He's making an authority argument there. The Holy Spirit is. He's basically saying, who are you going to surrender your life to? Who is it that is now in in charge of your life and that somebody is the one that spoke the world into existence that's who you want in charge of your life that's who you want leading you you want the one that saw what you could not do for yourself and he did it for you you want him you want him in charge you want the one that has always been in charge of your life the Bible says in verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the, the hope of the gospel which you heard, which you preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You know who had to make the way for you? Jesus. Those hands, those hands had to be nailed. That body had to be physically abused. Paul said, or rather Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, he said, everything in the law, everything in the prophets, and everything in the Psalms says that Christ had to suffer. My sins made him suffer. Why? Because God is just. God's just. Have you ever wondered how it is that inside all of us there's this thing where we want somebody to get what's coming to them? I have it real strong. The force runs strong in me on that one. Somebody gets what's coming to them. You know the where I really kind of that, that's a real problem for me. It, it's great to say this person that hurts a little kid, this person that does this, this person that does that, they ought not to, they ought to get what's coming to them. Do you know where I need to start saying that? In the mirror every single morning. But Jesus got what was coming to me. And he got what was coming to you. No one ought to have to beg you to come to worship every Lord's Day, to sing praises to Jesus, to God, to the Spirit that literally made all of this happen. They weave together a plan that was only reserved in their mind. And today, you're here to celebrate a death that was died for you. You're here to talk about and listen to and watch a service, a memorial that announces to the world that Jesus died and literally in His flesh something amazing happened. For our benefit. Verse 24 says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mystery. We like mysteries. Uh, I don't know if you ever remember 
there used to be a show where William Shatner, before he started making silly commercials, used to have uh, this show called Unsolved Mysteries. When I was little, preteen, that came on. I have never drawn the shades at night more and locked my bedroom door more than listening to Unsolved Mysteries. Because you just would think that whoever done the deed that's still out there lurking around that they're still looking for, it happened in your neighborhood and the guy was seen last in your neighborhood. That's how it kind of affected me. Well, I want you to take that same consideration and understand that the mystery, the mystery was revealed and is being revealed to you today at your address and your ears and your heart. And the goal is for everybody in the whole world to understand this mystery. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 3. How that by revelation, that's the Bible, he made known to me the mystery as I've written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles, that's us, should be fellow heirs with the Jews, in other words, and of the same body, there's just one, and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which... I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. You want to know why he said that? He said that because this is a guy that it is very best to destroy the church and now he's writing about God's plan really to allow him to be in it. To me who am, li- who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see What is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God by me made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. So... Let me go back and just break down one or two things very quickly. We understand the mystery now. It used to be a mystery, now it's been revealed. What's the mystery? Well, I doubt there's anybody in here, maybe after services you can come tell me, if you're a natural-born Jew and you've got a lineage where you're just Jewish by birth. Most of us in here can't say that. Most of us in here are Gentiles. What God did is he changed everything in Jesus Christ. It used to be about the Jews and the bloodline that would bring Jesus into the world. And what God did to help us understand how powerful Jesus is, the Son of God, he said, look, it used to be a bloodline that was back to Abraham where all these Jews would say, I've got Abraham's blood in my veins. When Jesus came along, the Bible says that we have the power to become a part of the family of God. He said, we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. But ye are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you be in Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, God made a way for us to sit here in this assembly and be able to be just like everybody else as his children. And we need to thank Jesus for that because our our Savior died so we can sit at the same table he sits at. He made it available. He made it available. Not just that. The Bible describes this fellowship of the mystery 
that used to be hidden. And he said that now God's purpose, His manifold wisdom, is made known by the church. What is the church? The church just simply means ecclesia in the original. It just is the called out. What are we called out of? We're called out of darkness into light. He said, my plan is, and the thing I'm going to show to the world is, I'm going to bring people out of their sins, and I don't care what they look like and what their background is, and I don't care what race they are. I don't care what ethnicity they are. I don't care. I don't care who they are. Because there's somebody that tore apart all the differences that separate ethnicities and races and languages. And that somebody was Jesus Christ. That somebody was Jesus Christ. Not only that, he said the angels found out about it. He said the principalities and powers in the heavenly places found out about it. You know who that is? Angels. Angels. God kept it in his mind. When the Bible says there was a mystery, it was a mystery in heaven for the angels too. They didn't know about it. Do you know that the angels long to look into these things? Lots of people long to look into these things. And now you get to know the manifold or multifaceted wisdom of God that you are God's plan. You, right here in these pews, are the manifold wisdom of God. You're the mystery revealed. God can take people, no matter who you are and where you are, and put you in one body and strip away all the genetic predispositions that we may have and grow in us one group. One Savior can do that, and that was Jesus. He can take you from your background. He can take you from your sins. He can take you from all of this, and He can accomplish all of it because that's His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 28 says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. That means complete. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. All Paul did all of his life is he wanted to, to bring men to Jesus. He even tried to make a deal. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go there, but he did let him explain it. The Holy Spirit gave him the words to say it like this. I would give my life, basically. I would trade places with all the Jews if I could. I wish that my brethren, my Jews, my family, my people would come to know Jesus like I do. God won't let you make that trade. He won't let that happen. That's not yours to make. It's not yours to make. It's each soul at a time. And what Paul did is sometimes he did it individually. Sometimes he would go in and he would reason with people, whatever it was. Sometimes he would have large groups of people. Sometimes he was in jail and he would convert Caesar's household. Amazing. His goal was to bring men to present them and get them ready to meet Jesus. Do you know what we're trying to do this morning? We're trying to get everybody ready to meet Jesus. If I told you that after services, Jesus was outside the door, he was here, he was here right now, you tell me what would be on your heart and mind. Tell me what you'd be wanting to do. I'm going to tell you what Paul was trying to do. He said that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. He said, I'm doing this with all that I have, and God works in me to do this. It's not me. It's not Frankie. It's not any other preacher of the gospel. It's God working. It's His power. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
You may have come here this morning and thought you were just going to attend a service and you were going to feel good about attending a worship service and you should attend, uh, feel good about attending a worship service. That's great. But maybe, just maybe, you're not ready. Maybe, just maybe, though, you're ready now to recognize that Jesus Christ is all you need and He's the one that's going to fill you up. He can fill you up. If you're low and you're down and out and you don't have any more strength to go, there is somebody that can work in you mightily in a way and with functions that I don't fully comprehend. But I know this, that there is a possibility for us to live a victorious life in the midst of circumstances that are hard to even talk about. And the reality of being able to live that life is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is Christ in you. If Christ is in you, you have an earnest expectation. You have a hope of one day being with Him in glory. If you have been drained by sin, and sin, by the way, will drain you. Sin will drain Jesus right out of your life. Sin will drain you and make you feel like the Lord's not doing anything for you and the church is not doing anything for you and I just I, I need to be somewhere else. I need to do something else. That's not the Lord doing that. That's sin doing that. Stop letting the devil drink out of your drink. Sometimes the devil's drinking with a big straw faster than the Lord God Almighty is piling in and that's just kind of how it works. He will drain you dry. He'll leave you hopeless He'll leave you away from God. He'll leave you with all kinds of guilt and stain that you don't feel like you can get off. What I want to tell you is this. That vessel that you feel like this morning will never be able to be full again. There is a God in heaven that can put all those broken pieces back together again and fill you up. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the God that we serve. And that is the power of a Christ that we're here to celebrate and remember this morning. And there is one other being in the Godhead three that must never be ignored. And he is the one that inspired the Apostle Paul to write to this church. And he is one that the Father and the Son both took issue with anyone that would grieve or frustrate and there is no greater grief that you will ever give the Holy Spirit of God than when He has convicted you of what you need to do. And you resist Him and walk away. If you're here this morning and you know you need to make a change in your life, that change is between you and God and we want to help you with it. In fact, we're, that's how it's going to work. You see, the Bible says that when you want to be saved, you have to come to the Lord. You have to. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Why would he say that? In Matthew 28, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Listen, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit is the only kind of baptism you ever need to be a part of, and it is for the remission of your sins. You see, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are the only ones that can justify your sins and your mistakes and mine. You may go to some man that tells you you've been absolved from sin. That man lied to you. I can show you the words of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit directly revealed. I can show it to you in Scripture right now. You want it? Here it goes. John 8, 24, the Son of God says, He that 
If you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The Son of God said in Luke 13 and 3, I tell you, neighbor, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The Son of God said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father. But if you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father. Jesus, the Son of God, said, Go and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe shall be damned. Jesus is the one that said in John 3 and 5, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That happened in Acts 2.38. They cried out, recognizing their lost condition. Men and brethren, what shall we do? The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit literally had fallen upon these men. And they began to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children. And to those that are far off. And to as many as the Lord our God shall call. Then they that gladly received their word were baptized. And that same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Verse 47 says, The Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. Have you been saved? That's the plan because I just showed you from the Son of God, from the Holy Spirit, and from God the Father. Will you surrender to that plan? Will you come this morning... And confess your faith that you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's the most important thing that will ever cross your lips. You will have the assistance of someone that will help you in surrendering to being baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you arise to walk in newness of life and all your old life is done away with. All the things that you felt guilty about and you're ashamed of and you wish nobody else could know about, those things nobody else is going to know about. This is an offer from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.